it, like something like it didn't really exist. It wasn't like we identified a gap in the market and were like people just sort of connected with it really. That's a real reductive, simplistic answer. But nothing's accidental, but a lot of it's intuitive. I think. Yeah, that's 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 a much better way of putting it. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, welcome back to this, the first episode of Media Voices of a brand new year. Effectively, we've been doing some mini episodes and specialist episodes, but this is the first proper, honest to goodness, Media Voices episode of 2024. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And that clip you just heard is from two of the three editors of the Welsh magazine, The Paper. So Peter spoke to Oliver Gabe and Owen Davies about the ethos behind The Paper, what they think it offers to their sole subscriber in Iceland, and why they had a variety show to mark the launch of the first issue. Peter described it as the most joyous print experience he's ever had, and it's well worth listening to. And Media Voices, for those of you who don't know us, we are a B2B publishing brand focused on the business of media. And that wraps up everything from editorial and commercial challenges through to trends that are coming down the pipe for media businesses. So obviously last year we spoke a lot about AI. I can't imagine we're going to talk about that any less this year. But today we're really focusing on, unfortunately, a very prevalent trend, which is effectively bad media news that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Is that like so, news about bad media or bad <laughs> news about... We do both. Esther, you suggested this and you said it was a mixed bag of news. And then as we started putting the actual doc together for this, it became apparent that it's, <laughs> to Peter's point, <laughs> relatively good news for some outlets. So why did you, I suppose, why did you suggest that we do it as a mixed bag thing rather than just focusing on accentuating the negative yeah you know, i was just getting a bit of fed over like all the all the bad news coming out. like it's easy to find bad news stories it's easy to find stories of people making cuts and i, I know there's there's been figures like sort of twenty thousand people have lost their jobs in the last six months things like that which is oh obviously like really sad and um it's a sign of of all the things that are changing in media but one of the things that some of our guests did point out in the uh, future briefing local news episodes we've just been putting out is that we've also got a bit of a tendency to be really quite negative about ourselves as an industry mm. and that actually things aren't that bad um and so i thought with, with that spirit yesterday i ended up dedicating uh, a newsletter last week to um good news stories which happened there happened to be a slew that day so i was like you know what? i'm just gonna make this a good news story day um so yeah i just put a bunch of stories in there which we can talk about now and you can tell me how they're not actually great news <laughs> at all <laughs> i'll leave that one to peter all right well Why don't we talk first then about New York Magazine and The Cut? So The Cut is New York Magazine's sort of fashion and lifestyle um, vertical. And it it attracts luxury advertisers and the luxury ad market has been very resilient the last couple of years. So it's kind of not surprising that they are perhaps expanding where others might be feeling the squeeze on the ad market a little bit. But there were some really interesting stats in this um, Digiday story. Um, One of the editors that was talking said that actually The Cut ends up providing more than 50% of referrals to, to subscription packages for the mm. New York magazine, which does include the cut as well. So it, it, it's obviously a really high converter. And when you're looking at those kind of stats that you're saying, you know, 50% of our subscriber base is coming via the cut articles, that to, well, that to them and to me is a really obvious place to them be investing in editorial stuff. I think they're taking on at least four new ones. They'd looked at their offerings and they were like, there's a lot more we can do to serve the readers 
And that, I'm just going to leave there because I think that's something we're going to come back to a little bit later on. It's something that is very important. <laughs> what, what, what? Delivering on behalf of your main customer base? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> the next item that you put in the list of, of uh, optimistic news about the media is the fact that journalist-owned tech publication 404 Media is profitable after just six months. We've been covering 404 on the newsletter, and I think we mentioned it a couple of times last year on the podcast as well. Uh, Peter, you're nodding vigorously. Why? No, they are. They do some great stuff. Um, they did that whole thing not long ago about uh, Google and search and mm. what that meant for traffic and stuff, which was you know was shared everywhere, and it's just you know, probably punching above their weight. The next piece of good news is that Dot Dash Meredith has seen nine percent digital revenue increase in Q4 year on year. Now that is single digit, but why is that so? I suppose notable in 2024, Esther. Because uh, quite a lot of that's um, ad revenue. Mm. And again, where everybody else has been seeing a squeeze as they are um, doing quite well. I would say because because of the merger a couple of years ago, there's a lot of sort of things that are going to be improving as they come off the back of that. But, you know, it's good news. It's good news. I'm not going to sniff at it. These aren't the only examples. That this this is literally just from the last week. Mm. Um, you know, if you go back even further, just a couple of weeks, like the Anchor is expanding. Um, that's like the news, the Hollywood-focused newsletter business. I was reading even this week about um, a, a, an indie brand that's launched a print newspaper that is profitable. <laughs> in just a couple of months so there's there's a lot going on it's just not, we're not necessarily giving oxygen to the to the more positive side of things the next piece of news in our good news roundup is that subscriptions and events revenue has grown to offset consumer media decline at dmgt uh dmgt is a big organization it has many brands within it my comment on this was actually a response to the mail to the mail on the mail online any good news for those people is probably a bad thing for humanity. But well, there's two things being conflated here, right? DMGT's been doing events for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. But this is actually specifically B2B events. You know, if you think, oh, that's good news, and publishers or news publishing is doing well, that's wrong. That's not true. It's their B2B events and subscriptions that are doing well. And I, you know, I'm cool with that. I don't have a problem with that. I thought that. the eye had seen subscriptions growth, hadn't it? Because DMGT also has the eye. That's not what this story's about, though. <laughs> this is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Can I go yet? Can I start? Yeah, go, go, go. I was just about to say, you have put a note in here, which I think is very pertinent. Yes, I absolutely 100% applaud Esther's efforts to find the good news in all this. I really do. Because I do think it's important that we talk about good stuff. And there's so much learning that we can get from all of these stories, mm. even DMGT. But we started this with, you know, this idea that it's been a bad year, but other media companies are thriving. Well, hell, man, that's a relative term. Yeah, the it's both relative to... Growing. Yeah. Go on, I was just about to say it's relative not just to their own organizations, but the entire media industry as a whole, right? Yeah. Because the... Th- the, the vast difference between the figures of people who are hiring versus who've been let go. Well, the cut's growing by adding four staff. How many people did Vox pay off last year? Yeah. Seriously. And then, you know, 404 Media, God love them. They do amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. They've got a staff of four people. So this is not, you know, we're not talking about Randolph Hearst here. <laughs> I and saw- Dash. No, let me just finish on Dot. Well, actually, I've already said my DMGT bit. Dot Dash year on year growth, okay? So 9% increase in digital revenue. That's their increase. 
well done, but as a percentage of what? Percentages are just like so smoking mirrors. Mm. And the actuality is that in total revenue terms, and their revenue is like 470 million plus, that represents a growth of about $2 million. Now, Christ knows we would love $2 million, <laughs> but we're an organization of three people. <laughs> Dot Dash Meredith is not an organization <laughs> of three people. They're huge. Mm. So, yeah, I, I'm all for it, Esther. I'm all for looking for the good news. I really, really am. But we've got to keep it in perspective. <laughs> but, yeah, we should also be keeping it in context, I suppose. And I saw earlier uh, Mill Media, so Manchester Mill, Joshy Herman's guys. We, we spoke to Joshy uh, a couple of years ago now, back when the Manchester Mill was just really beginning to take off. They are launching a new title in Wimbledon in London called The Wimble. They're hiring a reporter for that, which is uh, interesting. It's a fascinating case study, and it's worth celebrating because that is a working experiment in local news provision. But, yeah, it's not... If you look at the kind of the wider trends, it's not even a drop in the ocean, really. I suppose, Esther, you've, you've posed the question here. Is this a case of generalist media effectively bearing the brunt of trends and changes here while specialist media is thriving? Maybe. And uh, the only thing I'll say about generalist media is that, you know, yes, the messenger shuttered. Was it, gosh, was that only last week, week before? Um, and everybody said, oh, that's because there's no no audience for generalist news anymore. Well, Semaphore's doing fine, and that's that's... They're being far smarter about what they're doing with their cash there. Um, I, I think it's more that the point we're at as an industry, you've got this huge sort of long tail decline of a lot of the bigger organizations. I think we're seeing some of the sort of digital darlings, you know, the, the pure players go down that curve. You've know, got huge layoffs at, I can't tell you where to start with naming the brands. And we're, we're sort of at the, at the bottom end of that curve where that's all coming down but we've had if you look at some of the startups that have launched the last sort of five ten years and i think as we've spoken about this before in the media in the um in media moments as things like substack as these tools have become available that enables anybody to become a publisher we've had some really exciting startups come as well and yes i know i know 404 media is only hiring four people i know that you know the anchor again is only hiring one person but I'm quite excited to where this is going to be in maybe five years, 10 years, mm. as those businesses start to mature. And there's not many of those businesses that have been on that journey at the moment. You may be looking at sort of courts. I, th I, th I think there's a lot of hope for organizations that have started up very, very slim, very bootstrapped, looking at what do we actually need to run a business, getting maybe getting subscriptions from the off, without all the kind of fat and bloating that has come with a lot of the bigger, more established organizations that are now having to just cut, cut, cut as that ad revenue drops off. I think if you've never been reliant on that ad revenue, you are in a very, very good position. And that seems to be what's playing out. Uh, see, I, I would I would love to wholeheartedly agree with that. But at the same time, we've seen closures of like Galdem, for instance, which, you know, mm. they launched the membership scheme relatively early. They did it in a really, really smart way. We celebrated that, you know, it tailored its membership options to its audience. It spoke to them in a way that mattered to them. Between the three of us, we've been talking today about a news outlet, which is we should be surviving and thriving. It deserves to be, but it isn't necessarily paying its way, even though it has never been over-reliant, let's say, on ad spend. I also think it's easy to look at this from where we are sat. as a little group of three people. You're not sat down. You, you just told me you don't, <laughs> you've got a standing desk. <laughs> where we're not sat. as a little group of three people that ha have the... I don't know, the drive, if you like, to get out and do this on our own. Some people just want a job, right? Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, but in that case, journalism, journalism is not the career for you. Well, so it, used it used to be. It used to be. That's the point. It used yeah. to be. You know, in 2007, there was 9,000 regional journalists in the UK. Last year, or 2022 maybe, was the numbers that Press Gazette had. There was 3,000. And that's actually probably lower today mm. than it was when they, you know, when they got the, the numbers that they based that research on. Well, it's like we're all going to end up working in this farmer's market where it's only people that have got publications or news rooms that can fit in their own back rooms. Yeah. If they can afford a house to have a back room in. Um, oh, God. That, that's where we're, we're headed here. And that, I get, I get what you're saying, Esther. There are some really exciting small outfits growing up. The mill media is the best example I can think of. Jesus, man, as an industry, that is not mm. an industry. That is a freaking farmer's market. Again, I just, I just wonder if we're at this, this kind of the bottom of the pit in that sense. We've been saying that for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had this point where you know the digital ad money was flowing, as that has definitely tightened up. Publishing's original sin was making content free on the internet. Audiences are very slowly warming up to the idea that if you want good content, and I think AI will accelerate this, if you want good content, you have to pay for it. And yes, there are only segments of audiences, but this is not going to be an overnight process, are saying if they want to read good stuff and watch good stuff, they have to pay for it, whether that's through well, subscription or whatever else. And, so and I think as that, as that market shifts, the incentives of publishers to publish stuff and publish in a way that serves their audience to get that money whether that's memberships donations subscriptions however you do it that is a far more sustainable long-term business model it's just going to take i don't know how many years of pain to get to the point where we say right what does it take to run a business that looks like that i hate to piss on your chips but (laughs) there's a report last this week last week not sure in the Columbia Journalism Review about Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Philadelphia Inquirer, offering 2,500 people a free subscription to the local newspapers and 44 people took it up. 44. But did you see the comments that were that was written about the, their content? And it was audiences saying, why would you want a subscription to this? The content is atrocious. If you offer people <laughs> in Manchester a free subscription to the mill, they'd be like you get far higher rates than that. And I think this is where it's like, it's not publishing that's having the problem. It's poor quality publishing that's having the problem. No okay, offense so to the Pittsburgh. Now, <laughs> now, we're in a, now we're in another, now we're in another area of this conversation. We certainly are, yeah. You are 100% right. So, Neil, we've talked about Neil. Did, did either of you know who Nicholas Negroponte is? Or Nicholas Negroponte he was this like digital guru that Wired was always quoting and stuff. And he ended up on the masthead of Wired as the patron saint of Wired magazine. Neil Thackeray is the patron saint of Media Voices. <laughs> He's like the proper arsey patron saint of Media Voices. I love that you, because it's like what, in the Catholic Church you have to do three miracles to be canonised. I think one of, <laughs> one of Neil's was that time on stage with Trinity Mirror saying, look, here is your here's advertising revenue, here's audience. You would need five times the population of Earth at this point to compensate for the print decline. That was miracle one. Well, I've got a second one, definitely. So last week, Neil was writing on uh, MX3's website 
<laughs> about the missteps of mainstream media, and he 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 described this idea of he described this idea of the Jim Mullen paradox, which is just genius. And the basic idea, so Jim Mullen is the chief exec at Reach, yep. I think. So he's he's been asked about you know Reach's user experience and, and basically said, well, I hate it too, but we've got to do it. Oh, yeah. this is this is a, a trace. When, when did he say this? So Jim Mullen said to the Guardian um, back in January that the user experience is really straightforward. We're ad funded. I'm as disappointed as anybody else that nobody wants to pay for our content online. Um, some people struggle, particularly on the websites. But if we did not put those ad blocks in and did not get additional revenue in, then those cuts would have to be deeper. Um, and he said, "We're in the real world. I need to get the page views. That's the way we sell advertising blocks, and the blocks deliver revenue. I know it's not ideal." We don't talk about engagement and quality, but it's not in the trading report. That is the biggest mea culpa I think I've ever heard. That's unreal. Like I, I put no, that- Chris. He said he said it's not ideal. <laughs> Neil's so Neil's Neil's Jim Mullen paradox is the idea that even although companies know they're creating a really crappy user experience, they don't see any way out of it because they're scared no. of losing their revenue. I, I except they're losing their revenue anyway. I, I don't think that it's that. I think that it goes back to what I think Clay Shirky spoke about this years and years and years ago, and I think it's been it's come up a lot of the times in what we've been talking about, particularly around the NUJ's response to huge bonuses. It's that once you get to a certain point in the kind of the you know up the chain in media, you want to protect your pension at the expense of the user experience of investing in content, and it's easier to say. Well, look, we're just going to ride this out. Yes, there's going to be a decline, but in five years, I'm going to be out anyway, so f*** it. Yeah, absolutely. I will also just give a plug to our Future Proofing Local News series because, again, there's, there's a couple <laughs> people that talk about this in, in it. And this idea, and I think that's kind of what I was thinking to do with the, the idea that these businesses have kind of got you, – you can run a content business profitably when you haven't got that kind of fat and that bloating and that, that short-term kind of thinking from, I suppose, more corporate investors. No offence to anybody corporate. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, it, that's that's an, that's almost a natural business cycle. And Doug Smith talks a lot about this. In uh, Doug Smith from Table Stakes talks a lot about this in those future briefing local news episodes about those kind of corporate incentives and why we're therefore in the mess that we are with local news businesses. It's interesting. We talk about this all the time in terms of, I suppose, the relationship between advertising funded models and then subscription funded models. And I just think that in, then look at, you know, look at the New York times and they they continue somehow to add millions and millions of subscribers every quarter. <laughs> puzzles, baby. Puzzles and cooking. Yeah. Puzzles. Okay, cooking so, and so acquire a viral game. <laughs> Kinda. I mean, it's not, but again, it's, you mentioned this Esther, and I think it's, it's a really good point and we talk about it all the time, but it's like, you can't look at the NYT and go, Oh, let's copy them. They exactly. are such an outlier in terms of size, position within the market. Where they made some really smart early investments. But one of the things that Neil talks about in his his rant, because um, <laughs> he ta- he talks about Google and Meta and all the rest of it, and how you know publishers complaining that they stole their lunch, and he basically says like, just complaining that the bigger boys stole your lunch isn't going to fix anything. It's actually. Yeah. A, a abrogation of responsibility. What has solution? That's such a good phrase. And that's one of the things that you know, New York Times or Manchester Mill, Mill Media, or so many B two B publishers, just par for the course kind of thing. But I feel like we need if, to tier. We almost need to like tier distinctiveness, right? Because you have distinctiveness in terms of subject matter, 
and your position within the market. So B2B, obviously, you can be the leading B2B publication within, I don't know, a relatively small sector. But I feel like we've, we hear a weird distinctive from a lot of mass market titles. We have a distinctive tone of voice. But that is so much more easy to replicate. Yeah. And it's, it's much less of a distinct, you know, of a differentiator than position within the market or ownership structure or anything like that. If so, you can get AI to generate cat quizzes for you, you, you your content is not distinctive. Yeah, yeah. basically. Well, that's a- <laughs> I'm rewatching a good place, and it is so a good place is amazing. Well yeah, I can't believe we've not spoken about the good place before. It's fantastic. Uh, and you know, I think I think it's about USP. It's and it's partly it comes down to how how much it takes to create that content. What what value are you bringing? And if it can be done very cheaply to shove ads on and do whatever else, you you're not going to be in a good place this year next year year after look at Mm. the guy in wherever it was i I want to say slovenia but i don't know if that's where it was he was just buying up dormant domains yeah jamming them full of ai generated content and making a fortune on one hand you can say what a dick on the other hand you can say oh my god i wish i'd thought of that I, I said both in the newsletter. I was just like, that is a, I, I think it was the fact that he, in, at least in the profile, comes across as a man who goes, well, if it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. This is just the world we live in now. This is how the digital advertising ecosystem rewards, you know, SEO baits, uh, made for advertising sites, which, you know, that's going to, this year, 2024, surely something has to be done about that. Google has to go. If we have any sort of commitment to a quality internet at all, we need to find a way to filter these out. This is only the first episode of 2024. We can go much more in depth on not just these individual outlets and what they're doing, but also the underlying trends and themes. We have the entire year to do this. And at some point this year, we're going to hit our 300th episode, which is scary, I suppose. But you know what? We've outlasted so many places, including the messenger, which we didn't have time to talk about this episode. But Peter, this week, you actually spoke to... Well, I mean, an incredibly distinctive outlet <laughs> from what you told me. Well, I mean, I, I love the fact that we're shifting from the messenger <laughs> and, however, and however many millions of dollars they burned through. And the grid. Um, to the paper, which is a independent magazine in print published out of Wales. And it's just bonkers. It's just the most incredibly nuts joyous print <laughs> experience I think I've ever I've ever had and talking to the guys I'd met them a couple of times before and talking to them I just completely understood how come they made this this insane publication the other thing was just making something with what's right there in front of you you know they they, they used um, stories from people that that were close to them and they used ideas that just basically came from the conversations that we were having with our friends and on WhatsApp and they did a load of stuff through their phones. It was just, it's just a joy to listen to. Just listen to it. Well, I'm Owen. I'm one of the three editors of the paper, um, along with Al and Aaron. I, me and Al actually met because we both make films. That was, that's how we know each other. So that was actually kind of the starting point in our, our creative relationship. Yeah, and then, but Al's always done magazine stuff as well and kind of kind of roped me into it with him. And then I, I also work at Cardiff Uni <laughs> as my day job. <laughs> Everyone's got a day job that makes an independent magazine, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
The dream is to not have a day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or not have any job, really. Yeah. yeah. So go it's on like now. John Carpenter. <laughs> John Carpenter, the film director now, he just he sits around playing video games all day and people ask, like, oh, are you going to make a film soon? He's like, no, I, 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 I'm living the dream. I just sit around playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> so go on, old. Tell me what. Tell me so, about you. The other ed, one of the other editors. Um, uh, my background's in graphics. I did a graphics degree, and I did that as a day job for a while. But I sort of don't anymore. Um, now I've just got like a normal job. Well saying normal job we just got a job and uh i just do this sort of stuff on the side then really basically yeah, yeah. um so the paper in that sense the paper has a classic side hustle right yeah very much so <laughs> we're not making anything off of this <laughs> yeah. we're the ones being hustled <laughs> yeah yeah the joke's on us <laughs> So tell me about the paper then. What's the idea behind the paper? What is it? What's it? Because people, I've seen it, I love it. Try and paint a picture for people that are just listening. It's a very big picture. It's a very big magazine. Yeah. Starting point. Yeah, the first thing is it's intimidating size. That was like a, a must for us because me and Owen uh, are pretty small and scrawny anyway. So <laughs> we need that. We need no, I'm joking. It started during lockdown. I think actually, interestingly, I was reading a thing the other day about how obviously COVID was like terrible and, you know, but lockdown itself, just that time, it like loads of music's coming out now and loads of people made albums and stuff during lockdown just because people generally had more time on their hands. And I think the paper is kind of like a product of that because... We sort of started it. Or I started think. I started thinking about it like years and years and years ago. And then I lived with my mate Dan in this like weird house, and me and him found this article which was talking about the brain drain at the time. There was loads of articles about the brain drain in Wales, which is this sort of phenomenon where I'm sure most people know about it, but just in case you don't, it's about basically where university students move out of the places where they're from and then they never move back and it results in sort of like a brain drain is what they call it. But this article came out saying um, that it, things had gotten so bad in Wales that there was going to be a gene drain um, <laughs> and that human it, it went so far to say that humanity would split into two <laughs> and that uh, Welsh people would be sort of like this goblin-like underclass. <laughs> yeah, that was the word they used, wasn't it? And they did their little nice diagram as well, which is featured in the magazine. Oh, we basically just loaded it. We would load that article up and laugh at it. And we were like, that's going to be us soon. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of where it began. That was the idea of it, is uh, this magazine made by mutants, really. <laughs> which, yeah, that's also how we, like a lot of our emails to like, like stock potential stock is suppressed that was the subject line wasn't it a magazine made by mutants or a magazine made by goblins like yeah so the welsh thing is huge isn't it you know you you you, you talk about <laughs> wales you talk about people in wales you talk about being welsh now i understand that i can see where that came from but how important is that to anyone trying to read it you know i enjoyed it i'm not welsh but 
how important is that sense of Welshness and understanding what it is to be Welsh to people that are actually reading it? I think it was kind of it was almost kind of accidental, wasn't it? Like, yeah, we just we just happened to. I don't think we even said like, oh, we're only going to get Welsh people to write in this. It just happened that like everyone we asked was either from Wales or lives in Wales. Yeah, yeah. The only people who agreed to it were Welsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it kind of then it like and because there was this starting point of the brain drain it kind of like it kind of accidentally the first issue kind of accidentally became like a statement about like here's here's what uh, here's what the people the mutants who are left behind have done well I'm sure someone could write that mutant you know humanity splitting into humans and mutants almost anywhere in the UK right you could do it you could write it you could write it about Scotland you yeah. could write it about the northeast you could write it about the northwest you could write it about the southwest it's it's basically an economic argument right it's about yeah. people you know people who have opportunity leaving places where there is no opportunity <laughs> yeah yeah Wales does not have a monopoly on mutants. <laughs> Absolutely not. Just to give people an idea, it's basically the size of a newspaper, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 is it slightly bigger than A3? It is exactly four times the size of That's Life magazine. Um, <laughs> basically, we wanted it to be like, um, you know, with, uh, you know, those kind of That's Life Oh, those take a break. Trash, yeah, take a break. Yeah, yeah. Trashy magazines. We just wanted it to be like one of them, but as if you'd gone like enlarged it with a ray gun. Um, <laughs> yeah. so it's like honey, uh, I, honey, I enlarged the magazine. Yeah, yeah. but it's also 128 pages, so like yeah, it's you know, not as ginormous. Yeah, and, and most like we contacted locals. We wanted to print it in Wales, but literally no one in Wales deemed it like physically possible. Um, and and most of the ones in England we contacted didn't either. It was only one in 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 London Park that actually, and even they weren't like, oh yeah, we can do this. They were like, oh, this might be possible. Like <laughs> so that was kind of the sort of challenge we were putting, we were giving people with our stupid magazine. Um. So your next issue, when's it coming out? Because you, you're well, annual, you're an annual, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, one a year. I don't want to put any schedules on you, but once a year, yeah. Yeah, we're once you a year. So. You, you can't put a schedule on us, Peter, because we can't have one. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> you can't rush greatness. <laughs> I don't um, know. Uh, so. The, the next issue is going to come out this year. That's that's basically... <laughs> so it's February. Uh, what's that? First, of, first of February by the time anyone... Well, actually, by the time anyone hears this, it might even be March. Is that still... Is that time frame still going to work for you? Hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah it'll, be, it'll definitely be out sometime this year. What we can definitely say is... It's going to be out sometime this year. We're definitely going to do another variety show for the launch. So anyone who's listening, please come down to our variety show. Um, and we and we can say the theme. Oh, can we? Yeah, the, the theme. The theme is terror. The theme is terror. Oh yeah. Um, so first one was the brain. This one's terror. And we are. We are. I mean, we're not reviewing submissions, but we are receiving submissions. 
So um, if, uh, yeah. if if anyone listening to this outside of Wales thinks, oh, I've got a great idea for a piece for the terror issue, are they okay to to submit, they, they are, or, or yeah. do they have to prove that they're some kind of mutant before they can submit? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like in terms of the Venn diagram, they can either be, if they're not Welsh, they have to be a mutant. That's, I, think that's the, I think that's the policy. Well, you've already said I qualified, so that's good. Yeah, so you're more than, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that loads of the copies that you sold weren't sold in Wales because, you know, you were, I, the last time I saw you guys was in the My Culture Live event and it was selling in My Culture. Um so I'm, you know, I'm assuming it's not, it's not just Welsh shops that are selling it, or you're not just selling it um, online to Welsh people. No, not at all. We get ones, we send ones to like, there's one like to like Iceland or somewhere, and it's like, what, <laughs> like, what are they getting out of this? Like, <laughs> we sent them to like mad places. Like, one went to Greece, one went to Denmark, one went to Denmark, and then came back because. I don't know the Danish post office. So can't do that that. Yeah, so think? we've got one that's been to Denmark and back. What do you think people are getting from it? What's the, or what do you hope people are getting from it? I I don't know what people get get from the magazine. I just hope they enjoy reading it. Apart, you know, people get what they want. There was one one guy emailed us um, saying Ross's article. Um, He's had a similar, this guy had had a similar sort of journey with his mental health and his and his um, ADHD diagnosis. And he sent us like a a picture of his eye, like water, all watered up. And he said it just reduced him to tears. So that's like one of the nicest sort of yeah. feedbacks we've had in terms of what somebody's got from it. I think that's one of the things that I got from it was how relatable it was. You know, I'm... I'm probably not your target demographic if we want to use some wanky words. Look, looking at it, it's chaotic, right? You know, and all you and I talked about this. When you look at it, that cover in particular, it's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> um, there's this classic DIY, almost zine aesthetic around it. But the conversation we had was <laughs> that that took you for ever to figure out how to put that all together and that idea of magazine craft almost camouflaged within the chaos i thought was fascinating well i, I suppose we're just really clever no, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, peter don't think that you can come out and say that you're not part of our readership you are most definitely a mutant <laughs> you're not exempt from the horde <laughs> yeah I think, I, to be honest, that mutant thing, I'm not sure if it is everyday stuff, but I think what it is, is magazines are usually so uh, fixated on the idea of celebrity and ours takes like possibly, maybe this is what we, we've been like post-rationalizing a lot. Like yeah. I was I was listening to a thing about, this is like a bit off topic, but I was listening to a thing about the Minutemen the other day and everything they did when they were starting out was so kind of unthought and they just did it and then post-rationalized and in a way I was thinking we'd done a similar sort of thing where we put the magazine out and then people were asking us loads of questions about it and we had to go back and work out why we'd done things yeah um the cover why do we do the cover was literally we couldn't decide what article to put on there so we just put them all and um I think 
it's a backwards way of thinking, but that sort of backwards way of thinking goes across everything. So yeah, and then there was only room. The reason the title's written like that is it was the only it was the only space left on the cover for the title, wasn't it? That was why it's like squeezed on there in that way. And the same goes for like the articles themselves. Like they are like the the in terms of the writing, like they are like again they might read to some people like a first draft when you first read it but most of those articles took like so much editing to like to find the voice right even if that was like making you know informalizing things like like we had this whole thing about like whether we say around or round like around here around here things like that and in a lot of cases we went for the more informal one you know after after trying the more formal traditional version then going back to more informal one because it felt better so um so yeah like it's things like that which make it seem maybe low effort at first are actually like because we've tried the more traditional high effort one and then yeah. been like oh no it's better it's better if it's it's, it's more uh you know informal so this this anarchic chaotic huge publication for mutants the first time i met you guys was actually in this really formal boardroom setting uh, where you were applying for grant funding from the Books Council of Wales, which you got. Congratulations on that. Um, Thanks for helping to give it to us. <laughs> well, I, I was only there really to, to, give my, uh, to give a point of view. It was a committee that made the decisions. Um, but, I, you know, again, the, you know, that the committee obviously loved what you did. And and more than that, I think they loved the way you talked about it. Why do you think they gave you that money? What 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 do they want back from you? We're not we we've still been asking ourselves that for a while, to be honest. I mean, I do think I do think again, to kind of repeat the point we just made, like you uh like a lot of people I know who read the magazine, especially people who are like you know, friends who aren't necessarily people who would buy magazines, they just bought it because, you know, it was their friend doing it. The One of the things they often said was like, oh, there is a lot of content in this, isn't, isn't there? Like, you know, they were almost like surprised at how much was in it. And I think you can, like, they could probably tell, oh, these people have put a lot of, a lot of work into this, a lot of effort into this. And I think the same applied to, to the application that we, that we did for them as well. But I think obviously they don't just, you know, they don't just give it to you if they think you've worked hard. I think I think it was more like they could uh, see that we were as like silly as the magazine seems. Like, I think, you know, we take it really, really, we take being that silly really, really seriously. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that like kind of shone through uh, for them. And I think also it is just like, you know, they did say that it, that they wanted things that filled a sort of filled a gap in provision, I think was the, was the, uh, the quango terminology they used. Um, so, uh, and I think it is doing that. Like, I, you know, there's not, there's definitely not a magazine like ours in Wales, maybe not even in the UK or possibly the world. Can we say that all? Or is that, is that too big headed? Yeah, we'll, we'll go with the world. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try, I'm going to try and get a little bit serious for a minute. Yeah, go on. So our podcast talks to all sorts of media people. So from the I don't know the the editor in chief of Time magazine 
to people that work at the platforms like Google and Facebook and Twitter, to people that work for big UK publishers like Bauer and Hearst and people like that. So they're all listening to this thinking, what the actual fuck? But I really wanted to talk to you because I think people in all these organizations can learn from you guys. I bang the indie magazine drum all the time because I think those print people, you know, like the NMEs, what they've just done, and people back in the States like Saber have all learned, I think, from that indie ethos of A, be yourself and do, you know, be authentic, which is a crappy word, but you know what I mean. If I was to set the CEO of a major publishing company, which, to be fair, our audience includes some of those people, what would your advice to them be? <laughs> and now oh. hire us. <laughs> hire us and pay us millions, maybe. <laughs> Buy us out. Buy us out, I think I'd say. Buy us out. <laughs> I don't know. We... To be honest, what, what, we... okay. Let me put it in a different way. What's the secret of your success? Because you sold, you've sold out, right? Yeah, however we have. Ma- however many copies you printed, you sold out. I, I think a lot of it, like, I don't know. I, I feel like we need to stop like doing ourselves dirty by saying that a lot of it was accidental. <laughs> but, but even though, obviously, as with, as with most things, like a lot of it is accidental. But I think a lot of it was like. They'd, like something like it didn't really exist. It wasn't like we identified a gap in the market and we're like, but I think like we did, we did it, and there wasn't anything that was doing something similar, and people just sort of connected with it. Really, and that's a real reductive, simplistic answer. But I think um, nothing's accidental, but a lot of it's intuitive. I think. Yeah, that's 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 a much better way of putting it. <laughs> and then I just think. I think what we're doing can be replicated by anyone. It's not. It's nothing special. It's just I think sometimes because essentially all we've done is put the things which are around, like you know we can't put Harry Styles in our magazine because he doesn't know we don't know him, <laughs> but we but we do know like our mates Ross and Betty, and so we've just literally the. I think the reason possibly people like the magazine or maybe it's perceived as different is because we put, we literally just put what's around us out, and I think that's uh, that's a formula which can be replicated by anybody. Like, what do you have access to? What do you have around you? And thinking that's good enough to put out there because I think you don't. It's probably from the attitude that you don't need to try and do things like everybody else. Just what whatever you've got access to around you is good enough and put put in that making the best of that you know so you know we don't have um you know there's not like a huge team of us and we don't have tons of resources so it was about how can we use the people we've got around us the sort of things that we've got around us and how can that and can inform the aesthetic and i think possibly that's that's the way to do it you know with these big companies they've got like 500 odd people working for them that's like bigger network than we've got anyway so that's the stories you've got around you i wrote a thing the other day uh about podcasts do you know do you guys know who alan wicker was 
No, no never heard of them. Brilliant. So that's me feeling old as well as frigging, uh, as well as feeling like a mutant. I'm just <laughs> so I'm an old mutant, right? So Alan Wicker was a documentary maker. Oh yeah, and it, and he was um, he had he gave us impression of being this real kind of I don't know posh gent, um, and underneath it, oh, he was like this mad maverick guy who who um, just went and did stuff. You know, he, he, there's a quote in this piece from the, one of the women I interviewed that worked with him. And he, he was his boss at the time was uh, David Attenborough, who was the head of whatever department of documentary making. She said he would just go in and say, "Okay, old boy, I'm off to Haiti today. I'll send you the stuff when it's ready." <laughs> <laughs> but but he was smart enough to realise that those days were rapidly, rapidly coming to an end. This was in the seventies when you could yeah. just have an idea and go off and people like the BBC or ITV or Yorkshire TV would pay for it. So when he died, he left this legacy behind that's funding this foundation that is basically supporting emerging documentary makers. Um, and one of the criteria they've got, that I've got to read this to you, it's absolutely brilliant. One of the criteria on their award that the piece needs to de- needs to have a demonstrable flair for coaxing the human spirit into revealing itself. I read that and I just thought, that is amazing. That's exactly what you guys have done. That's the dream. Yeah, that's it's part. That idea of yeah. coaxing the human spirit and they're going, hey, we're here. Or I guess in your case, a mutant spirit. Yeah, actually might might pinch that because that's, that's really good. I guess what I'm trying to get at, do you think that idea of the humanity, no, red in tooth and claw, is part of what made the paper, that first issue of the paper, so insanely brilliant? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think it is, I mean, it is kind of, again, to kind of repeat what we said before, like, you don't really see, like, there aren't many magazines where people are writing articles about, you know, like we're saying, like, fancying your co-workers in the chip shop like but those are things that people do relate to and it is like it is a very like human thing to connect to i think a lot of them as well like kind of have this tone of like they read at the start like they're taking the piss i mean like osea you know the guy who was texting me earlier he his article is is like it's literally a parody of wales online like it's a parody of a wales online listicle but then he does have, but then in one of them, there's like this really nice little detail about like after he's been beaten up in in Cardiff city centre, coming home and his mum like giving him some really shit food. But it's like, it's a very like, it's a very like human moment in this article that is otherwise seemingly just taking the piss. So I think like, it's almost like, I think the piss taking kind of lets people get their guard down so that they're like, you know, Ross's example is another good example. Like, it's a really yeah. sort of funny article about like how horrific it is trying to get a you know diagnosis um, in the NHS. So, um, yeah, I think it's almost like you sort of soften people up with the humour, and then you get them in that like that little weak spot of humanity while they're while they've been when they've been tenderized. Mm. I do think. Um... You know, our thing is always, which is why me and Owen, we're, you know, we're doing film stuff is we just like stories. And 
you know, we're not, there's stuff we're interested in and stuff we're not interested in, you know, and I think we just want, you know, there's so many good stories that people tell each other in the pub and that sort of things, you know, or stories that we tell each other. Yeah, we just wanted it to be a magazine of stories, really, rather than rather than anything else. And I do think those the, the stories are inherently human, I suppose. I don't know why. I think, you know, it's possibly just, you know, I think it's, you get you get all these big fashion magazines and I think it's great what they're what they're doing. Like, I, I, I really like interview magazine because, mm. like, of course, I want to find out what Kanye West has for breakfast. Like, you know, that's you just do, don't you? Like, what was he have for breakfast? You know, and, but we're, we're not going to be able to do that stuff. So we'll just do what's around us and we'll put the stories which is around us in there. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the interview because, you know, the background of that titles like the whole Warhol factory idea and that was a really tight group of people that went on mm. and changed a lot of stuff. I've actually just listened to the, to the radio show that you've got on Instagram. <laughs> and it's just inside jokes, right? Yeah, that that radio show, that first one was kind of a trial shift. Uh, we've done, we've just done a second one now, so that should be hopefully coming out soon. So please do, uh, you know, I'll listen to that when it comes out. The second app should be out. We we went, uh, you know, we did that broadcast uh, Saturday, Saturday. So that's coming out soon, and we are still working out what the radio show is uh, a little bit. Well, we're doing it like we're working it out live on air. But I think <laughs> the first one is learning, probably, l- yeah, learning, learning in what's it called? Learning in public or something? Yeah, yeah, literally. Maybe not the best way to do it, but I think the the second one's definitely better, and hopefully the third episode will be better again. But again, you know, the idea with the radio show now is we've got Ross Host said he's one of the paper contributors because we kind of want to risk like. There's obviously three editors, me, Owen and Aaron, and we sort of want to recede a little bit and, you know, the contributors will do more stuff around the paper and things because they've all got good stuff to say. So Ross hosts the radio show just because he's just really funny and, you know, charismatic. He's a great host. He he hosted, he emceed the launch as well. So, like, he's he's kind of like the... He's got unparalleled pattern, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you're, so you're not, but you're not doing much online in terms of sharing content online or anything like that. You're really just every now and then, as an image will come up on Instagram, or now you've got this radio store. You just t- sort of doing that as and when it sort of makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the radio show is going to become monthly, so that will that will be one regular. That that will become a regular thing. But yeah, obviously it's a yearly magazine, so uh, we've kind of got to like, we've got to somehow keep our claws in people in between in between issues coming out. Uh, but stuff like the radio show, I mean, that makes it sound like a cynical thing, but it's not because really it's it's just it's an extension of the magazine, like you know that that we means we get to keep doing stuff. Because if it was if it was only once a year that we were actually getting to put anything out and like feel like we were engaging people and. It might be a bit depressing, even though that is obviously the main, the main event. So it's nice to have things like the radio show to keep up, keep that up, basically. 
I think also it's two things, isn't it? We all have jobs. Like Erin's doing a blinking PhD while while doing the magazine. I don't even know how she's doing it. But um, you know, so there's like a limit to how much we can actually do. And then also, secondly, we're quite selective on what we do do because we're quite you know, you do you can do a lot, but it's about we'd rather do things which reflect the magazine more and, and the radio show seemed like a way of you know, we can accurately sort of replicate a bit the feeling of the magazine online. And also possibly thirdly, we're just fed up of doing, we don't want to do stuff which is only online. The thing about the radio show is the radio show broadcasts out of a bar and you can literally just come to the bar when we're doing the show and just, you know, we'll we'll be there. So it's it's doing things which like are in real life, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, and I definitely, there's a community thing there. And again, community is one of those words that gets overused in media. But you actually have a real live, honest to God community, whether it's in a pub or whether it's at the variety show or, or whether it's between people sending WhatsApp messages while they're writing for you. It should, we don't want it to be exclusive or anything. It's a big club. Yeah, anyone's welcome as long as they're a mutant. Excellent. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It was been, um, I'm going to, probably going to have to do quite a big introduction to this episode. <laughs> It'll need a lot of context. People are absolutely going to be thinking, what the actual f- is going on here? <laughs> so I don't know how many times exactly throughout this episode we mentioned that a story had previously been in our daily newsletter, but you probably guessed that we do a daily newsletter. (laughs) And if you don't already get it, well, you need to join the other, I don't know, 1100 odd people that gets that newsletter every single weekday to get the four top stories going on in media to keep them up to date so they can show off when they're talking to their boss. (laughs) For free. Although you can donate if you would like. (laughs) <laughs> and this podcast isn't the only thing we do guys did you know it's going to be our fifth year of doing the publisher podcast awards which are now open for entries no that that's, can't that's be kind of... right that's, that's <laughs> kind of nuts so, COVID's, uh, COVID's got in the middle oh of you're right, right. I forgot about heads. the COVID years yeah yeah uh, so this is our fifth, fifth year of the publisher podcast awards uh, entries are now open they are open until early March um, we are also this year doing the Publisher Podcast Awards after the Publisher Podcast and Publisher Newsletter Summit. Woo! So if you are listening to this and you're working in newsletters or podcasts, um, you want to be there on June the 12th in London. Uh, you can find out more about all of that, the entries, everything else, Summit, all on one website, publisherpodcasts.com. But we're going to be back every week for the foreseeable with a news roundup, with a guest, a fantastic guest who's going to take us in detail into why what they're doing is important to the media. But for now, thank you so much. If you have enjoyed listening to this, please do tell people about it. It makes the world of difference to us when you recommend us or review us or even just sign up to follow us on any of our social channels. Uh, But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye.